right, all right. Welcome, everyone. Good evening. I'll scoosh this guy back here. Hey, it's so good to be back with you guys. Welcome back to Young Adults after a week off. Did you all enjoy your Tuesday evening last week? Yeah, yeah probably not as much as if you were here. There we go. That was an invitation for you to make me feel good, but it's okay. Um, hey, quick shout out. She just left. It was my, my seventh wedding anniversary last week, last Friday. Seven wonderful years. Ellie, I love you. What a joy. Um, Man, I'm so excited to be back together with you guys again on this Tuesday evening. Um, and if you noticed, the bumper video was a little bit different. We're going to be doing something a little bit different tonight that I'm really eager, I'm really excited about. Um, man, but before we jump into our word tonight, um, I just feel like I just want to acknowledge um, even the presence of the Lord in the room. Um, I think there's something so rich and unique, even like, I don't know if you picked up on themes, right, as Danny and Donica are, are leading in worship and singing, and as we're turning our heads and our hearts to the Lord, there's this theme of, um, of God coming and moving here tonight. Um, and in a way where we aren't, <laughs> we're, we're coming and we're positioning ourselves to know Jesus and to receive his love and his kindness, but it's the, it's the action of Jesus to come and meet you tonight. And so if you're here tonight and if you are feeling far from God, um, I want you to just like <laughs> dial your attention in because God is coming close to you tonight. Because he loves you, because he's for you, and because he's with you. If you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 7 with me tonight. I'm going to read our text. I'm going to give us a little bit of vision for where we're going tonight. And then we'll go from there. We're going to be in verses 37 through 39. This is the word of the Lord for us tonight. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He says, Come to me. And drink tonight. We're going to be spending an evening doing kind of a unique, uh, a unique message, a unique thing. We've been going through Jude, right? We went through the first handful of verses. We talked about contending and wrestling and fighting, and it's and we're going to be back in Jude next week. So if you just can't get enough of like the intense uh, aggression, just come next week. We're going to be right back at it. Um, but tonight, what we're going to be doing is taking a step back in order to take a night. Um, to dial in on a word that I believe that the Lord is speaking to us and for us as New Life Young Adults tonight. Um, when I was little, how many of you guys um, remember falling asleep in the car when you were a kid? I can very distinctly remember this moment, right? When like, or many moments like it, when like it's late and you're like sitting in the car and you fall asleep and you like sort of halfway wake up, right, when you pull home. And I would always pretend that I was asleep so you get carried in. Right, that's the thing, that's the play. But then I have this, this just like this, this very distinct memory of my parents lying me down in bed, right? They knew I was awake. And them leaning in and whispering to me and saying, Josh, we love you. Praying for me, laying their hands on me, giving me a kiss goodnight and then stepping out. And tonight, I believe that the Lord has a, um, like a familial word for us. A word that comes not from a distant God who's far away and is imposing something down on us, but as a, a word from a father. 
right, who's just carried us in, and now he has something he wants to whisper to us and say to us about what he's doing here and now in young adults, in this moment, in this time. And the beautiful thing about being a part of the people of God is that we have access to the voice of God, right? Jesus says in the book of John, he says, my sheep hear my voice as they listen to me. And so tonight, even as I'm coming with a, uh, a, a word from the Lord, um, there are some things that we, we want to understand even about words from God. When we talk about hearing God, even, even Donica, right, talking about on Sunday, the Lord woke her up and spoke to her and he was speaking things to her. Um, we have to understand what is happening when we hear God speak, even before we jump in tonight. And I think the one thing that it's about is hearing God is in many ways it's about alignment. It's about positioning. It's about being in alignment with where God is moving and with what he is doing. Now, so I told you sort of when I was a kid, now I have a child of my own, right? And she's walking and she's running and she's like going crazy. And half the time I'm like, she's over there and then she's over there. And I call her like the pinball of destruction sometimes because she goes over here and, she, and, it's, and it's craziness. Um, one of the things that's happening, right, is she's learning how to walk. Um, is we'll be like kind of walking on the trail. Um, like if we're going out, she'll, she'll be like in her stroller. And sometimes Ellie and I will take her out and we'll let her walk. And she loves, for whatever reason, to like grab her stroller and push it. And so this thing is like three times her size, but she just like squares up, grabs it, and goes for it. Now, okay, this is a very cute picture. She's very cute. What I want you to notice about this picture, right? So you see her, she's there, she's enthusiastic. Where's my hand? <laughs> it's on the stroller. Because there's no way in heck I'm going to let that thing go and let her do whatever she wants, right? Now, in this picture, I think it illustrates this thing of, She's pulling in a direction, but she's really only going to be productive if she's pulling in the same direction as me, right? Because if she's pulling in a different direction that's going to go and bring her to some place where she shouldn't be, I, as a good father, am not going to allow her to go to those places, right? But if she can be in the right direction, pushing with me, I'm like, you go for it, girl. You push that stroller, right? You go for it. And so when we're talking about a word from the Lord, it's about alignment. It's about positioning us as a community behind and with where God is going in a particular season. Matthew 11, Jesus looks out and he says, if you're tired and you're weary, come to me, learn from me. He says, take my yoke upon you, right? That yoke is a picture of two oxen pulling in the same direction together. The yoke of Jesus is easy, not because what we're pulling is light, but because we're pulling in alignment with Jesus. And so tonight, here's the word that I believe the Lord is leading us into. And we're going to spend the rest of the evening unpacking it, the rest of the evening responding to it. I believe that the Lord is saying to us as New Life Young Adults that it is a season to dig new wells. It's a season to dig new wells. And we're going to talk about what wells are in Scripture. We're going to talk about how to respond to this. But I do want to give us some just clear directions and guidelines for how we respond to a word from the Lord. Because when we hear the Lord speaking to us, um, we need to test it. So what we do is that first, we listen to the Lord, and then second, we clarify and we test. Because not everything that we hear, every idea that jumps into our mind is from Jesus. God will never contradict himself. So if you're hearing something that doesn't agree with scripture, that is not a word from God. That's a word from you, or a word from the world, or a word from the, a word from the and that's, that's, that's not the Lord. And so what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be clarifying, saying, well, what does this word mean? testing it, saying, is this in alignment with scripture? And then the last step is that we obey. When we see that what God has spoken to us is something that's in alignment with his word, then we trust him. 
and we follow him. It's a season to dig new wells. Let's go ahead and pray. Let's, let's welcome the presence of the Lord. And even, man, even while we pray here for a second, guys, I really just feel like there is a, oh, man, almost just like a, like a thick covering of the Lord today. And what I mean by that is that he's, he's close. He's close. And so let's just take a sec and close our eyes and just um, become aware that he's close. Just like let your heart get still for a moment. So Jesus, we, we do, we, we recognize that you're with us. God, our eyes are on you. We say, speak, Lord. God, we know that if you, if you are not in this tonight, then there's, then there's nothing, Lord. If you, uh, <laughs> it, it is you who make us to stand. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would speak. Would you speak? Would you invite us into what you are doing in this season, in this time, in this moment? We want to say yes to you, Jesus. We want to say yes to where you're leading and yes to where you're going. And so, Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. And all of New Life Young Adults said, amen and amen. And amen. So the first step in clarifying, we have to ask the question, what do we even mean by a well? If it's a season to dig new wells, we need to ask, what does this particular word mean? I want to walk us through three different things that wells are, symbolize actions that they take, even as we're looking at scripture. The very first thing is that wells are access points to deep, hidden life. Wells are access points to deep, Hidden life. Now, if we kind of zoom out and we look at the, the narrative of Scripture as a whole, um, and even the biblical worldview and the biblical environment, it was written in a culture um, where they were largely living in a desert, right? So if there's, um, there were like very fertile portions of it, um, but a lot of where they were, the whole Mesopotamian region, there was a lot of desert, it was a lot of dry, and if you didn't have water, you were up a creek, right? It was bad. You, it was literally a life or death situation. And so what happens, right, in this worldview, as the biblical writers are writing and finding images and thoughts and motifs and themes, something rises to the surface where water and wells, they become symbolic, not just of life, right, not just of like, oh, I have water and so I can drink and I'm going to survive, but they become symbolic of the life of God, the life of the Spirit coming and inhabiting us and filling us up and overflowing in us, right? It's like the biblical authors take an image of physical life, what we need, water, and they say this is going to become the image and the motif for spiritual life, for true life, for actual life. Wells and water in the Bible, they appear in the places where God is making his home with humanity, Wells become a spot and rivers and these, this idea of water become a place where, um, where God is coming to be with people. We see this through the entire scope of scripture, right? In Genesis chapter 2, the Garden of Eden, it's this garden space that at the center of it are these four rivers of life and water gushing out into the communities around them, right? Abraham, the one who's blessed by the Lord, he comes into the land and he's a nomad, but God gives him all of these different wells and it's like just this, this Bam, this blessing of God on his life. In Exodus chapter 17, right, we see um, the, the Israelites wandering the wilderness and the desert. And then God splits open a rock and brings water up from it, providing for their actual needs. But he makes his home with them there, right? Keep going on. And you hit the prophets. You hit guys like Ezekiel who are having these visions of God and these visions of the temple where God is coming to be with humans and literally coming from the threshold of the, the temple are streams of water. 
right? Water is this image of life. You track into the New Testament, you have moments like Matthew chapter 3 with the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus enters into the waters, comes out, and becomes this divine moment where God comes in his fullness, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all as one together. You track forward to the book of Revelation, and the city of God at the end of the story is centered around water, a river flowing through. This idea of water becomes one that symbolizes spiritual life. And so when we're talking about this idea of wells are access points to rich, hidden life, some of the things that we're talking about is that God wants to give us an invitation, not just to um, a neat community or not just to like what we need to get by, but he wants to give us an access and a new invitation to fresh outpouring of himself. He wants to make his home here with us and in a new way. And I believe in a, in a unique way. I have the words of the psalmist in Psalm 63 in my head where he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. He says, in a dry and weary land, there is no water. As my soul thirsts, I faint, I long for you. There is an invitation for us to be in a place where God wants to come and uniquely be with us. Um, even this idea of like access to spiritual life and access to God, it makes me think of a season of my life when I was first following the Lord. Um, I, I met Jesus when I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, and up until that point, I was like an athlete and I was trying my absolute best to like find my identity and satisfaction in all of these different spaces, right? In friends and in girls and in sports and in the way that people saw me and in grades and in success and my plan for my life. And I had all these things that I was trying to do. And then all of a sudden, God smacks me in the face and pulls me in and Jesus looks at me in the eyes. And all of a sudden, it's like my life is totally reoriented. And what Jesus did in that season is that he, um, <laughs> he took me and he hid me away. And he hid me away in my, in my closet in the basement of my parents' house. And what I did is I cleared out my, like, dresser and my clothes. And I took, like, these, um, like, super old school, like, prayer maps and these, like, words. And I tacked them on the walls. And this little place became, like, my own little personal well in my basement. Where I would go and I would sit and I experienced the life of God. And as I was experiencing the genuine, the actual, the true, the life of God for me, it's like, it's like God weaned me off of um, <laughs> the, the other things that I, had been, that I had been consuming, right? It's like he gave me real food and like weaned me off of like candy or drugs or something like that that was actually killing me. Because what's in interesting here is that in scriptures, right, um, water is a symbol for life and for spiritual life. But there's kind of this mirror motif that arises where um, a well is a really good thing. So what's the opposite of a really good thing? It's a well that doesn't work, right? It's something that um, actually doesn't do what it's supposed to do. I think of like Jeremiah 20, or 2 verse 13 as we say, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. It's like a well, like something you dig that catches water. Hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so tonight, if the word of the Lord for us is that he wants 
to dig a new well, to dig a new access point here, then there is an invitation for us to turn away, right, from the things that we have been going to, the things that we have been looking to, and looking to Jesus himself, and looking to Jesus alone, right? It's a, it's a matter of focus, and it's a matter of zooming in. God wants to make a well here, a place where you can come and taste the true water and be truly satisfied. Wells are deep access points to hidden life. So that's one function of wells. Second, if you look at scripture, it's fascinating. Wells are both generational and geographical. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, There's this fascinating story in John chapter 4, right, where Jesus is walking and he goes through Samaria and he stops at uh, at a well that's outside of this town. And many of us know this story, right? A Samaritan woman comes out and they start dialoguing back and forth. And Jesus looks at her and they're talking about getting water from the well. And she looks at him and he's like, hey, can I have a drink? And she's like, you have nothing to draw from. And then he looks at her and he says, I'll give you living water. And it's this fascinating moment for him. Where she looks at him and she, she responds like this. She says, our father Jacob gave us this well. Are you telling me that you're greater than our father Jacob? This well in their story was a, a rallying point for not just the actual life of the day, but of the generations that had gone before them. A well was something that tied them to their generational history. That tied them to their geographical history. It was what God had done in a place with a certain people at a certain time. And so for us tonight, as the word of the Lord is, uh, the invitation even of the Lord is that he's digging new wells for us, we have to know our family story. We have to recognize that New Life Young Adults here tonight is a people rooted in a place, in a time, but we didn't just happen. Did you guys know that? Like, this isn't the first time we've done this. Like... (laughs) Like, Eddie carried this before me, and before Eddie, someone else carried it, and before that person, someone else carried it. And even this room that we're sitting in, this room has such rich spiritual history. You guys know, even like New Life as a whole, like, New Life started with a handful of people in a basement, right, who prayed together and believed that God wanted to pour his spirit out in a people, in a place, in an actual real time. And God did, he breathed on it. Right? And a community came, and the lost were saved, and the Spirit of God was poured out. And that community, what God did, right, it even went through and carried our church and our community through the loss of a leader a number of years ago, through violence that happened on our campus. This was a shaking of the Lord. But it's part of our story. This is part of the family story that you're in, right? We are a people who are both resilient, who are deeply connected to God and deeply connected to one another. New life has fought to see the kingdom of God come here and now. And so when we're saying that God wants to dig a well here, we're a part of that story. We're a part of a story of what God has done and of what God is doing. Do you know your family story? Do you know your geographical history, right? I made a comment about this room. Even like this room, the World Prayer Center, right? If you look, you've noticed the flags, right? You've noticed the flags outside, Some of you guys are probably, if you're coming in for the first time, it's like, well, that's kind of a wonky choice of decoration. That's maybe a little 90s, but we'll roll with it, right? (laughs) This building, you guys, was devoted as a place for the church, the people of God to come and lift up prayers and intercession for the world. 
And from this place, from this room, you guys, God has raised up men and women, entire movements that are, that are literally moving out and shaking the community right now. Some of the largest movements for prayer, missions, and justice in our world right now have their origins here. Right? Like even we're deeply connected to movements like the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, the 24-7 prayer movement. There are, there are things happening that, that came up from this place that God has got, done and gone out. And that's like global scale, but also my head goes to um, the moments where in this room that you're in, like 10 years ago, 12 years ago, like 20 college students, college-age students carried the flame of prayer and intercession and worship, and God marked their hearts. Even night and day, we had a 24-7 prayer room. And I remember when I was in high school after the Lord met me and pulled me out of darkness into the light, I, I remember leading... Uh, all-night prayer vigils in this building where we would come and we would get on our knees before the Lord for hours and ask him to bring revival to our community, to bring revival to our schools. Um, there, was this, there was this wall. It was called the lost wall. And we would write the names of different people who, who needed Jesus. And like this, this room that you're sitting in, this place that you're sitting in, um, I, I, think of, I think of Ellie and me at different points. Um, our names were on the lost wall. Like, you guys, can I share some of your story? Thanks. <laughs> um, Ellie's sister got saved before her, and her and this, like, ragtag little crew of, like, they were, like, social oddballs, kind of. They're awesome, but they're weird. And they'd get together, and they would pray for their, their friends. They would pray for their siblings who didn't know Jesus. They wrote their names on the wall, and they'd pray for them, and they'd pray for them. And then Ellie would be mean and keep praying, right? And they'd keep praying, and they'd keep praying. And then until, right, there's a moment where a young man in the community passed away, and it was a memorial service, and Ellie was here. And during the memorial service, there was an altar call, and Ellie comes to the front and gives her life to the Lord. One of the first things that her sister did was run to that room and cross Ellie's name off the wall because she wasn't lost anymore. Yeah, come on. That, be, right, be, because, because this is a place and this is a people where God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. And where God wants to move in real life and in real time and in your story and in our stories, and in the stories of the lost young adults in our city who don't know Jesus. When God wants to dig a new well in a place, we have to remember what he's done, because that gives us faith for what he's going to do. I look in Revelation, right, and one of these phrases that we say a lot is that the, the saints, right, they overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb, right? That's all of the work and the power of Jesus on the cross coming and covering us from head to toe, reviving us on the inside. But we also overcome by the word of our testimony, which is what has God done, right? What has God done that sets the seeds of expectation for what might God do again? So even as we're here tonight, I want to stir up some of that. Remember, and if you, have, if you don't know the stories, then listen, God has done things here in our community. And he wants to do them again. This is going to be a place, this can be a place where God brings dead things back to life. Some of you have experienced this. Some of you were dead, right? And the Lord brought you back to life. Wells are generational. They're geographical. They're, they're God moving in a real place and in a real time and in a real moment. Next thing the wells are. Wells prepare for rain. 
well as prepare for rain. I think about, um, uh, I think about Elijah in the book of 1 Kings, right? And there's this story where it doesn't rain upon the earth for three years because he prays and there's an ungodly king. And then Elijah is in this moment where he's praying and he's asking God to bring rain. And he prays and there's not a cloud. And he prays again. And it's this series of like him praying in faith and in hope. And then he sees this small cloud and he's like, that's it. And then he goes and he runs and the heavens open up, right? In the ancient world, wells and cisterns, you wouldn't dig them when it was raining. You'd dig them when it was dry, right? you dug them when you needed water so you could collect and receive when the water came. We need to be ready to receive. My question for you tonight is, and I was, a number of weeks ago I asked a different group of people this, but if God did everything that he wanted for your life, like everything for it, what would happen? If God did everything that was in his heart for our community, are we ready for that? Like let's say he just threw out all the stops, right, and he brought the lost in our doors and he's pouring out his spirit on us and we're seeing actual, like we're seeing people come to know Jesus. Are we ready? Have we done the work to cultivate our own hearts in our community? Wells prepare for rain. God wants to get us ready. Because rain revives a community, right? The thing about movements of God is that he doesn't do them um, just for like the sake of the individual. Any blessing that God gives and pours out is to flow through you, right? It's like this idea of if God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. You heard that before? It's like if God can trust us with his grace and with his presence, he's going to give it to us as we give it away to the world around us. I think about like community changing moments in the church's history. Like there was this, this moment in um, the turn of the century, there's different revivals over history. Uh, in the nation of Wales, there was a small prayer meeting that began and it, it really just caught fire in the community. And there's prayer meetings all over the place. There was this movement called the Welsh Revival. Um, and some of the things that happened is that the bars shut down, right? People weren't getting wasted anymore. Um, the clubs shut down. And this is so funny to me. The rugby clubs shut down. Because, and, and this, is, this is so interesting, right? So some of these rugby clubs, the only time in their entire history that they've ever shut down was World War I, World War II, and the Welsh Revival. <laughs> it's like church and then millions of people dying, right? That's the only reason we stop our sports, right? That's, but it kind of like tells you what was happening in that community, Right, what was happening in that space for them to, to have their community around them changed and noticed. There was this revivalist named Leonard Ravenhill. He has this quote. He says, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. My prayer for us as young adults is not that we would be this like, like big rah-rah community. Honestly, it's like, it's like our, our goal is not expansion in numbers. Our goal is, uh, is the power and the presence of God that comes and fills us up and sends us out into the world around us. Wells, prepare for rain. Rain revives a community. Right? So these are the things that wells, that wells are. Even just looking back, we're talking through the steps where we listen, we clarify and test. So wells are access points to hidden life. They're geographically oriented. They're generationally oriented. They prepare for rain, and they get us ready to minister to the community around us. So then the question for us tonight, and with any really word of the Lord, is what do we do with this? How do we respond 
to this word from the Lord. And like I said in the beginning, we respond with obedience. I want to tell you a couple ways I think obedience looks. Um, first is we dig. We dig with Jesus. I, I love this idea we've been talking about tonight, and I want to emphasize it. Um, God is moving. And we get to partner with him. We get to dig alongside of Jesus, but he's the one who brings the change. We position ourselves and we say yes, and then the Lord moves. And so my question and my invitation for us is how do we dig? What does it look like for us to partner with Jesus? Uh, number one is that we, we cultivate intimacy with Jesus. We respond to an invitation like this of God wanting to move and dig new wells. We cultivate intimacy with Jesus. Because this whole thing, this whole story, you guys, it's not about, it's not the story of like a church. It's not the story of a movement. It's not the story of something that God, uh, or like a, of a group of people. It's the story of, uh, of connection with Jesus. It's a story of commitment and of intimacy. Give yourselves to prayer. Give yourselves to fasting. Give yourselves to intercession, community, confession, celebration, worship. Give yourselves to things that cultivate connection with Jesus. We're going to be going through a series later on in the fall. Going through um, spiritual, or not spiritual gifts, excuse me. Going through spiritual disciplines. How do we cultivate connection with the Lord? How do we cultivate connection with Jesus? We pray. We're going to talk more about how you do that. How do you respond? You cultivate intimacy with Jesus, and then we contend for holiness. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Purity pleases God, and it positions you in the will of the Father. I think of passages like Matthew, right, chapter 5, where Jesus looks out, and he's talking about all the people who are blessed, and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, because they are going to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we are a community who's coming together to, to, to see God, then we need to contend for holiness. And I, man, even as I'm using this word in this, this language, um, yeah, here's my, here's my fear is that what you would hear is that this is just like a, like you get your behavior right, right, and then God will come close to you. You get your behavior right and then God connects with you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying here is that God has come close to you. The person of Jesus Christ has come close to you. And now the only response for us is to turn our whole hearts and our whole lives over to him so that we can be caught up into the fullness of what he's doing. We serve a holy God who makes us holy when we come to him. I think of, um, I think of Isaiah. There's this vision that Isaiah has. Right, where he's literally taken into the throne room of God. And he's there standing in front of God. And it's this like cacophony of praise. And there's angels and there's thunderings and rumblings and smoke. And he's there and he's like, I'm going to die. He's like, I'm going to die. He's like, woe is me. I'm ruined. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. But then what happens is that it says one of the angels flew to him with a live coal in his hands and he brought it up to his lips. And now if you're a student of the, the scriptures in the Hebrew Bible, this is the moment where you're like, he is going to die, right? <laughs> that coal is going to touch him and he's going to die, right? Because the holiness of God, the purity and power of God, when it is confronted with our sinful humanity, it's not that like God is vindictive and he's like, I'm holy and you're not. It's just that he's like the sun. Right, like burning and it's brilliance and it's glory and it's goodness. And if you get too close to the sun, you're just going to burn. 
It's because he's so good that when confronted with human sin and brokenness, the sin and brokenness is consumed from his presence. And so there's this moment where the coal is taken from the altar and he touches his lips. But then what happens is like this reverse because he's not consumed. He says, see, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Friends, we're in this moment where we are, we're like Isaiah. We're pulled up into the throne room of God. And we're looking at him, and he says, let the coal touch your lips. Let the guilt be taken away and your sin be atoned for. And let it transform your life and make you holy. When God calls us to be a community that's holy, it's not because he's after our good behavior, but it's because he wants to make his home with us. It's because he wants to be present with us. I think about, like, holiness that hurts the eyes, right? It's like the phrase in my head. I think about holiness that, like, makes children laugh and adults angry. Right, this thing of like, like, <laughs> let's read the next point. God is calling us to be a people who have surrendered the path of minimum obedience for the heights of radical devotion. He's calling us to be a people who have surrendered the path of minimum obedience. Friends, I'm here tonight, and even with this word from the Lord, I, I think what he's inviting us into, and even what I would submit before you is, um, if Jesus is real, and if he's come close to us, then the only response is for us to give him everything. But if he's not real, then, like, why would we give him anything? Like, that might sound silly, but it's like, it's like why would we ever ride a fence? Why would I come to Jesus and say, what is the least amount that I can give you and be okay? What a half-hearted life in the gray, friends. That's not what Jesus has for you. That's not what Jesus has for us. He says, come and live and let your old self die. Surrender the path of minimum obedience. Because God has more for us. And the truth is, friends, um, I think there's this myth in our world and in our culture right now um, that what we do with our bodies and what we do with our actions, that it doesn't actually matter in the long run. That, like, I can do whatever I want in the moment and it doesn't actually, like, change my life and... Um, the, the truth about the way that we live, there's like this, this phrase, like, like your lived experience is kind of like, like a catchphrase these days, is the way that we live and the way that we choose to respond to Jesus, that it will actually impact our lived experience of the presence of God. The truth about following Jesus is that if you live your life completely in sin, rejecting the Lord, or if you say yes to Jesus, but you still hold on and embrace areas of sin in your life, you will not have a robust lived experience of God. Not because God doesn't love you, not because he doesn't want to come and meet you and, and, and like flow through you, but because you are actively holding part of your life back from him. What we do matters. And there's an invitation for our whole community, for us to recognize that our actions have weight and our actions have purpose and meaning and to contend for holiness. This is one of the ways that we labor with Jesus, that we work with Jesus. It's time to get to work. It's time to get to work partnering with God and partnering with Jesus. I don't even invite the band up at this point. Um, the first thing we do is we dig, right? We obey. We say, how do I get my heart and our community ready for anything that God wants to do? But then the second thing that we do 
is we just come to the water. We come to the water that God is giving us, right? I opened tonight reading John chapter 7. I want to read that again. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The feast that they're talking about is this Hebrew feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's one of the annual feasts that they do. Um, and they basically all come together into one place. And instead of staying in their houses, they all build tents. And they build tents and they live outside for a week and they eat good food and they celebrate. Um, and they do this to remember the time that God led them through the wilderness. When God pulled them out of Egypt and they lived in tents as nomads and as wanderers and as strangers. And on the last day, one of the events that they celebrate is the moment when God split the rock open and gave water to them in the wilderness. When they're in the middle of the wilderness and they have nothing to drink and they think they're going to die. And God literally brings water from the most inhospitable thing on the planet, a rock. And they celebrate this and they remember this on the last day of the feast. And on the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up in front of them and he cries out so everyone can hear. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I think of Isaiah 55. Where I, the Lord through Isaiah says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Jesus is standing here before us as the rock in the wilderness as the well of God. When we say that God wants to dig a new well here, it's not that he wants to give us some mystical experience, it's that he wants to connect us with Jesus. It's that Jesus, Jesus, it's that Jesus wants to meet you and meet us in a unique way. It's that he's coming and he's offering himself to us like a rock in the wilderness. And he's saying, will you come and drink? Can we just pray together for a moment? Can we just wait on the Lord for a sec? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think there are some of us tonight who, um, like when we, when we think about Jesus, when we think about him meeting us and, I'm here talking about like spiritual experiences and the Lord nourishing us. Um, like you see more like a rock <laughs> than, than you see when you see a fountain. Um, man, I really, maybe just there's some of us who've been like, who even, even like been like burned <laughs> by like religious and spiritual experiences. Maybe like, <laughs> yeah, maybe you just have like really high expectations about like an emotional moment around Jesus or an emotional moment at church or like, 
you had like a big moment at camp or something with the Lord, and you came home to your real life and, and found that it was actually really challenging. <laughs> or maybe like you asked God to meet you and then you didn't feel anything and, he, and he, didn't, he didn't meet you like you hoped. I just think some of us are disappointed. I think the invitation of Jesus for us is the same. I think he's saying, will you come to me again? I think he's saying like, you don't have to have you don't have to have like the energy to muster up an emotional experience. This isn't about an emotional experience. But he says, can, can you muster up faith to ask me again? I think he's saying, can you, can you muster up faith to, to come back to me again? And to say, Jesus, I don't know what it means and I don't know what it looks like and I don't know what it means to actually come to you, but, but, I'm, but I'm here. Can you muster up faith to just bring yourself to Jesus again? Even if you don't know what it looks like to quote unquote come to the water, to just tell God that and say, I don't know what this means, but I think I want you. This is about Jesus. This is about Jesus pouring himself out. This is about Jesus' initiation, Jesus' movement. This is our response. This is Jesus' movement. I said this before, you guys, right? If this is if this is like a hypey moment or even like a high emotional moment, like, like we're not trying to fake something. We want the presence of God. We want Jesus himself. We want Jesus himself. Yeah, I just want to in invite you to respond. Um, if you are able, and if this is something that you are in, I want to even just invite you to like go to your knees with me. Um, just as like an act, an act of dependence an act of surrender and an act of praise. So Jesus, as much as we're able, we come to you. Lord, we turn our hearts to you. We turn our minds to you. And God, we say we do not know what it looks like, but we want you. We want you, Jesus. Lord, you are the rock in the wilderness. Lord, you are the fountain. Lord, you are the source. You are the water. God, I pray that you would meet us. Lord, I pray that you would satisfy us. Lord, I pray that you would fill thirsty souls again. Lord, I pray that you would minister to us tonight. Would you speak to us, Jesus? We need you. We love you. Lord, we say yes to you tonight. We say yes to you tonight. I even think some of us, right, um, I think it was an invitation to turn away from counterfeits and to turn to the truth to turn away from the things that we thought were going to satisfy us and turn to the thing that can satisfy us. I'm thinking of things like, like idolatry. I'm thinking of things like money and power and success and sex and um, these things that we turn to to get our needs met. I think Jesus is inviting us to the wholehearted devotion. So Lord, even as we're here, 
I ask that you would do everything that you want to do. Do what you want to do, Jesus. Lord, I believe it's in your heart to dig a new well, to dig new wells here. So I ask that you would do it. I ask that you would do it. We say yes. We say we're open. Do what you want to do. In your name, King Jesus. In your name, King Jesus. Yeah, in your name, Jesus. Yeah, all of young adults said amen.